0: Wait, there it is.
1: Okay. All right. Cuff. Open palm. Bend. Open. Allow. Aim. My soul faints with longing for your salvation. But I have put my hope in your word. My eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Though I am like wineskin in the smoke, I do not forget your decrees. How long must your servant wait? punish my persecutors the arrogant dig pitfalls for me contrary to your law all your commands are trustworthy help me for men persecute me without cause they almost wipe me from the earth but I have not forsaken your precept preserve my life according to your love and I will obey the statutes of your
0: mouth mm, good stuff all right then we have let's see um i got a, just a ton of prayer requests here um this will take just a couple minutes uh rocket and suzanne who they're here in sarasota uh they attend online they had terrible COVID over the past few days and uh so uh they she sent me an email said they are turning the corner but keep them in prayer uh mike has a really really bad sinus infection so uh keep mike in prayer burke's son had his First chemo today. He may not be here. He's not here now, and he said he might not come at all. So, uh, John, you want to keep him in prayer? Absolutely. Yeah. Becky Finley, she's uh, just got some issues that are bothering her, and so keep Becky in prayer. Uh, Jonathan, poor guy is having finances. The business is slowly getting killed off. Corporate is doing some things, and he's just—he's really asking people to just pray for his uh, business issues. So there you go. Sam Classy, a young boy, he's gonna be 18 soon. He says, uh, I've got prayer for a family friend named Kevin. Over the past few years, he hasn't been doing well health-wise and he's got cognitive decline. His grandparents were exposed to COVID and he's praying that uh, uh, their test will be negative. His brother, Michael, and his youth apprenticeship for machining uh, apparently they're making it very difficult on him to take the classes he needs so he can become a skilled tradesman and then he wants prayers for him and his father who are taking a road trip this weekend safe travels and then his 18th birthday is next wednesday happy birthday to you and uh, that it may be a day of blessing and uh, uh, as he celebrates with his family and friends and also with his brothers and sisters in christ on the community uh, the superior word. And then that I got from uh, I told you about Remy in the Philippines a couple of weeks ago. She's trying to raise money for helping the people in the uh, prisons. Okay, she's been able to raise ten thousand pesos out of forty thousand pesos. Um, she, which is it, remaining, is about seven hundred and I think it's seven hundred and forty nine dollars. I did the conversion today. And uh, if anybody wants to help her with this, I will go up to half on it. I'll go. Uh, uh, what would that be half of seven hundred three hundred and seventy five dollars so if anybody wants to give i'll give up to three hundred seventy five dollars to help with that um and that way we can get her fully funded uh she sent some photos the philippines are having a terrible time right now with rain and she showed photos of i mean literally people living in water up to here so I, terrible but she said, um, last January I decided to give away our New year's leftover fruits and food and collected some of my friends to get some families who were greatly affected by the recent rainfall. There we met a family whose son was in prison and they told me how to how their poor how poor their kid's situation is and how they wish they could send something to him. They asked for help saying there were more prisoners like his son who has nothing and no one to even uh, provide the most basic hygienic needs. We told them we pray for it, and we're not promising anything. This is last year. And then I prayed for it, and it's clear that God wants me to push through with it. I want to say I want to say no because it's really hard to raise funds. God showed me a vision twice, but I tried. Uh, I tried to close my eyes, and I felt it was impossible to do so. So I went to a meat shop and saw one of my son's friend's moms, who is in sale in jail too. And she cried and told their painful story, and she told me that she prayed that her son could make it out this year. And they prayed together for his release, and uh, uh, she talks about some of that other stuff. And uh, then um, she says, um, uh, for weather to be fine, they're praying for the, obviously, for the weather, which is terrible over there. Uh, Classes have been canceled. Some people want to give financial assistance. We'll be willing to take it and give it to those affected and um, to be able to find a prayer partner. Uh, and this is the lady that her husband died, uh, the missionary over there in the Philippines, uh, just last year. Um, I'm confused and weak in so many ways, and I pray and ask God to make it well known for me and my life and for my family. Uh, she's very positive that when she emails me, she watches the church online. She attends a church in the Philippines, and she's trying to stay focused on the Lord, and she's trying to get something together where she can help other people, you know, which will help her in her own situation. Um, she's also asking for prayers for her son to pass his university entrance exam. and. Uh Let's see here. By God's grace, we are not crossing over into any more trouble, but rather new opportunities, divine connections, open doors, breakthroughs, blessing, and much more. So that's what she's asking for. And so there you go with that and all the other prayer requests. And what's that? Linda. Linda. Oh, yes. Thank you. Linda. I didn't write it down. And if I don't see it in front of me, I never remember things. Linda fell, hurt herself uh, today, was it this morning? This afternoon. This afternoon. She tripped. And uh, so Linda's uh, out and uh, last time she did this i don't know if you remember some of you know she busted out all of her teeth mm. so it's one thing after another and so um as we were saying jim and linda collectively need to be put into bubble oh, and shoved into a yeah they need to be shoved into a closet and left there but there you go heavenly father uh you know these things that are going on in all these people's lives and uh, the prayer requests that have been laid before you and so many others that are unstated Lord, uh, tend to your people according to your wisdom, and we'll be sure to give you thanks and praise at the end of it, regardless of what happens, because in the end, we know that we're yours and that we have a sure hope in Christ. How wonderful that is, because this is a fallen world. We live in very difficult times. So, Lord, uh, we just appreciate your comforting hand with us through the trials, and uh, if you remove them, all the better. We thank you. We praise you, and we exalt you in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen. Mm -hmm. Amen. Prayer of praise. Prayer of praise. The lady that fell? Yeah, that fell 200 feet. Yeah. She's out of the hospital. Oh, good! Wow. With that her back all fused together and everything? Her neck. Her neck, yeah. So far, so good. Oh, wow. So the lady two weeks ago that fell in, uh, 200 feet while uh, wow. mountain climbing is out of the hospital, which is amazing because she should not be alive at all. Exactly. But the Lord, you know, took care of him. And she's a does missionary work with her family down in Peru, Peru. And so it looks like she'll be able to do that again this year, maybe. All right. Keep us posted on her. Thank you. All right. And we have also this year in Christian history, January 12th, he started early. Henry Alford was born in 1810 in London, where his father was was an Anglican vicar, and his mother died in childbirth. From a young age, he showed an aptitude for artistic and scholarly pursuits and a commitment to his Lord. One of his hobbies as a boy was writing little books. When he was only five, he wrote a five-page book entitled The Travels of St. Paul St. Paul from His Conversion to His Death. He was writing Latin odes before he was ten. At age ten, he wrote Looking Unto Jesus or The Believer's Support Under Trials and Afflictions. The first chapter began Looking Unto Jesus is not, as some would suppose, looking to him with our bodily eyes. For we cannot see Jesus as the apostles did, and other holy men, but it is here taken in a spiritual sense and means, first, a looking unto him by faith, second, praying to him. That was a 10-year-old writing that. At 22, he graduated from Trinity College and was ordained the next year as his father's assistant. Two years later, he married and became a fellow of Trinity College. While at Trinity, he began his most ambitious work, the Greek Testament. This four-volume classic commentary on the New Testament on which he worked for 16 years is still in use today. In 1835, he became vicar of Wimesworld and remained there for the next 18 years. <clears throat> in 1853, he became the Minister of Quebec Chapel in London. And four years later, he was appointed Dean of Canterbury. He remained in that position for 18 years until his death. Few people in the history of the Church have displayed the lifelong productivity, and range of abilities of Henry Alford. In addition to his preaching, teaching, and research, Alford wrote and translated poetry and poetry and prose, and was a watercolor painter and wood carver. He played and composed music for piano and organ, and wrote the hymns Come Ye, Thankful People Come, and 10,000 times 10,000. When Henry Alford died on January 12th, 1871, the much loved dean was deeply mourned the funeral procession wended its way from canterbury cathedral to st martin's churchyard there the grave sur- the grave side service ended with singing of alford's hymn 10000 times 10000 in sparkling raiment bright the armies of the ransom saints throng up the steps of light tis finished all is finished their fight with death and sin Cling open wide the golden gates, and let the in, victors in. Bring near thy great salvation, the Lamb for sinners slain. Fill up the role of thine elect, Take then take thy power and reign. Appear, desire of nations, thine exiles long for home. Slow in the heaven thy promised sign, I'm sorry, show in the heaven thy promised sign. Thou Prince and Savior, come. Henry Alford had many accomplishments, but is little need for accolades. After his death, the following memorandum from him was found. When I am gone and a tomb is to be put up, let there be, besides any indication of who is lying below, these words and these words only. The inn of a traveler on his way to Jerusalem. How do you react when you hear of someone who wrote Latin odes before the age of 10 and then grew up to be a famous author? God has given few people gifts like Henry Alford's, but he has equipped every one of his children to accomplish whatever he has purposed for them. Hebrews 13, may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus equip you with all you need for for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ all that is pleasing to him. Good, good stuff. I have heard of him. I haven't read any of his works, I don't think. But I'll bet you, knowing Burke, he's probably got that that Greek testament that uh, they referenced in there. Burke seems to be a guy of all kinds of uh, surprises. And every time you think he's expended his uh, his knowledge base, he comes up with something more. <clears throat> There's Miss Garrett. How are you tonight, Miss Garrett? She's doing well. I can tell by the scorn on her face. <clears throat> Okay, we are in the book of Colossians. This is Colossians chapter three. Surprisingly, we got all the way to chapter three last week. So we're in verse 19. We may be able to just bang out the whole book of Colossians today.
1: Right. I, want to, I want to back up one, like last week, week before. Yeah, well, we're trying. We're trying. <laughs> Keep hoping. I'll, I'll start on uh, 19, which will allow 18. everyone. Uh, 18. Yes. Which will allow everyone to be anguished by what was left off at. Oh, that's right. More so
0: appreciate this. We stopped right in the middle of this. We did. I think that was planned. (laughs) Yeah. Should I leave the TV on or do you want that off while he's reading? Oh, okay. All right.
1: Okay, 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with
0: them. Okay, this one says do not be bitter toward them. Okay, so... Find out what the commentary says about that. Okay, uh, just so you know, you haven't been in the Bible class before. Uh, he always reads from the Alexandrian text, which in his case, he's using the NIV, and then I use the New King James Version. So there's variations, and so we go over why that's and, the case. Mine is
1: Alexandrian, and yours is
0: Byzantine. Byzantine. Yeah, that that would be the, the tradition, the line of great text that you would follow. Uh, this is actually, uh, they base this on what's known as the Textus. Receptus, which was uh, uh, compiled by Erasmus back in the 1600s, I believed, and he, uh, he took all of these things, and it, it's called the received text. A lot of people say, well, it's because it was received from God, and so it's the only authorized text, and that's not why it's called the received text. It's when he took it to the uh, uh, editors or the printers to be compiled and uh, pr- you know printed off, they received it, and it was stamped received, and so it's the received text. Anyway, um, uh, just so you know, that's why they say that. And then with the King James Version, they call it the Authorized King James Version. And to this day, people say, see, that's God's authorized version and you're not to use any other when that has nothing to do with it. It was authorized by King James as a translation useful for the Commonwealth at the time or the British Commonwealth or whatever. And so uh, people like to take things that are not intended and they apply them in a wrong way to prove that they have the only Bible that you're ever supposed to use and you should never look at anything else, etc. But um, that's a side issue, but that's why we follow one tradition or another and there are variations and we'll talk about why there are variations. Anyway, 319. After instructions to the wives, Paul next addresses the husbands. His words are carefully selected. First, he says, husbands, love your wives. The word is present imperative active. Thus, you are to do this now and always. You are certainly to do it, and you are to actively do it. Love your wives. Okay, I don't know if I'm going to say this. I'll bet you $50,000 I will, but just in case I don't, Um, Love in the Bible does not necessarily mean the gushy feeling that we get and that we uh, ascribe to things when we meet a girl for the first time and say, I've fallen in love. That is not what it is. This is a volitional love. It is something that we actively, even when we're really hating the person we're with, we have a volitional love. We actively love that person, okay? There are times where you don't want to be with your husband or wife or your child or your boss, and yet you can love that person without liking them a bit. Okay, and so that is the type of love that Paul is speaking of. We are to have a volitional will of love towards a person. Okay, Um, the word is, yes, I read that. Okay, a man and a woman are one when united in marriage. Because of this, they are to love one another just as they love themselves. Just because a wife is to submit to her husband, it does not give him the right to act in a non-loving way towards her. Rather, the exact opposite is true. She submits to him, he is to actively love her. Okay, It's how it should be, it's not how it always is, but this is what would be expected of people. Paul then follows up with, and do not be bitter toward them. The verb now goes from the active to the passive. Thus it should read, and do not be embittered towards them. As the woman is the weaker vessel, the husband may get exasperated with her weakness or by her weakness. She can't do something that he he can do, and he may just get embittered towards her because of it. Okay, that would be very, very, very infrequently in my house. There is almost nothing that my wife can't do. She is about 82 pounds of absolute energy. I've never seen anybody that can expend so much energy as her. And I'm not saying that just, if she's not here, so obviously I'm not buttering her up. It's just the truth. If you were at our house after Hurricane Ian, then you were there in the morning before I got home. I left and I went to the mall and did a lot of work down there to make sure everything was safe and secure. And then I came back to the house to start taking care of the house. And when I got to the house, Sergio had said Hedico was outside with a broom just sweeping up one little spot. She said, I don't even know where to begin. By the end of the day, it was All done. Something that would have normally any other house out there three weeks later, they were still having crews come in and cut. We had more damage than anybody else in our area, except one guy next to us. And people were still weeks later having this done. But I did the cutting. She did the dragging. Everything was done by the end of the day. 99% of it. We had more to do and I'm still, you know, tidying up little things. But Nothing that yeah I could do them all in five minutes. I'm just kind of whittling away at things for fun. She but, did it
1: with love. That was there. She was just laughing. She's like, I don't know where to begin.
0: I'm just gonna go at yeah, one branch just, at a time. Yeah, and I couldn't
1: believe when we came back. We had bigger shock that everything was clean than when we saw the destruction.
0: Yeah, <laughs> a- amazing. She she's absolutely a dynamo. And uh, uh, the only thing I think she's never been able to equal me on is I built her a uh, dinner table for Christmas in 1994. And a lot of people have come and had dinner at that table. It's a big, low Japanese-style table, and um, it is so heavy. It takes about three people just to get it off the ground. I, I way overbuilt this thing, but uh, she wanted—I wanted to move it one day—and she couldn't pick it up. And I did not get embittered towards her because <laughs> I, I wouldn't expect Schwarzenegger to pick this thing up. But um, there you go. I—that's uh, she physically could not even get it off the ground but um and i was only going to move it a couple inches to do something but it's just not possible but that's the only thing i can remember that she could not actually do unbelievable absolutely unbelievable human being um so as the woman is the weaker vessel the husband may get exasperated by her weakness oh yeah i just i've been here i've been moaning about that table now for 28 years okay not really um uh Or there may be other ways in which a man gets frustrated with his wife. Is it possible? And so Paul admonishes the husband to not allow himself to become embittered towards her. Each is an individual and each is designed by God to form a whole. Surely men cause women to get exasperated. Surely. Surely. And the same is true with women. Surely. Don't call me Shirley again, buddy. (laughs) Surely. (laughs) the husband being the head of the house is not to allow bitterness to grow because of this position, okay? And it's easy. I mean, you see a lot of people out there that are really, really bad husbands. They're getting arrested constantly in the news. They're, you know, I I can't believe what's happened in the world where I can't talk about it. I'm not going to say the things I see, but every single day I see the same theme in the paper at least once, sometimes three or four times A day in the news that I read looking for articles for Sunday every single day and it's something that would not have even been talked about when I was a kid if we heard that it would I would have been like how could that be and it happens every day every day I read an article where this happens and then sometimes it's three or four times and I think people really are are out of control and these men are just uh, anyway life application when we consider the strengths of our spouses, then the failings will be less noticeable. It is so easy in life to focus on the negative, but let us not do so, especially in regard to our spouses. Instead, let us love, cherish, and honor one another. In doing so, the Lord will look upon with favor upon our marriages. Okay, I will tell you that um, I've said this in a... a prophecy report one time years ago maybe eight years ago I called he to go up it was our anniversary probably maybe her birthday but I think it was our anniversary and I said come on up here and I had her stand next to me and here she is she'd get you know a little Japanese lady she'd, she's so scared of everything and uh, I said this is the wife that you would expect from Proverbs 31 and I went through some of the things that she does and I'll tell you I'll remind you of some of them I will go uh upstairs to brush my teeth. I, It's in our bedroom, but I still will go up in the morning. You know, in the evening, yes, but in the morning I go up and then I come down. And she uses the other bathroom, the main one, and so I uh, will be in there. And there's always my toothpaste, and there's my toothbrush, and uh, the toothpaste is getting lower, and it's getting lower. And I don't know how she figures this out, but she does. You know, when you get to the end of the toothpaste, if you keep pushing, you can get like five more weeks out of there. It's unbelievable. I, but there, there's a day where you will never get any more out. She has been able to deuce, deduce what that day is. And I'm not kidding. This has been going on now for almost 40 years of marriage. The day that that is run out of toothpaste, there's another toothpaste taken out of the box and set there for me. It's unbelievable. She never fails to have one out there. When uh, we were um, we came back from overseas... She's a little bit older than me, no need to tell how much, but she's a bit older than me. And we came back from overseas, it's 1993. And we're, you know, I'm looking to get a job, she's looking to get a job. And she says, well, I wanna be a nurse. And I thought, one, why would you wanna do that at this age? And two, I, I just can't even fathom it. So unlike her, I couldn't even imagine it. It's not anything that I could have ever imagined. And this is not an exaggeration. This is absolute truth as to what she went through. She went to be a nurse. Now, we had two children, and we had them in a private Christian school because I would not let them go to the Sarasota County school even back then. They were so bad that I said, I'm not sending my children there. And so we we saved all the money we could every year, and we uh, used that for getting those kids into the Christian school. And she's going to uh, nursing school she's Japanese. Her first language is Japanese. She knows English, but she doesn't know all of the medical terminology, which is based on mostly German and a couple other languages. Greek is used in some medical terminology. It's very complicated. It's not something that we're used to in regular life. Americans that grow up here would say, well, yeah, I kind of get that. A Japanese would never get it. So she's in this, this school, she would get, let me start with, uh, where should I start? She would take the children. We'll start right there. She would take the children to the private school. She'd have to drive them there, which was closer than I was to where she went to school. So she would drive them there. And then she would come home. And during this time, she always had lunch for me. I'd pick up my thing and carry it to lunch. She would make lunch for me. I've never, in 40, almost 40 years of marriage, never had her not have breakfast, a lunch, and a dinner for me if I wanted it. I don't eat breakfast, so she doesn't have to worry about that. But if I say, I want something this morning, there it is. But never has she not cooked a meal every single day. She would take the children to school. She'd go to nursing school. She would pick the children up. She would come home, and she would make sure that all of the dinner was prepared. Everything was done for the family. Everybody was in bed, and she stayed up every single night. For a year and a half, because one time she had to do a sem- redo a semester. For a year and a half, she would stay up until after 12 p.m. studying. And then she was up every single day, five days a week at 3 o'clock. She survived on three hours of sleep, and she would do all over again. Have everything ready for the family. Take the children to school. Go to school. So she's studying before she went to bed. She's studying after she went to bed. This lady is unbelievable. And during all that time... I, I just can't tell you she she took care of everything else that she should have taken care of she's she's just unbelievable but the whole point of what I'm getting at is what I just said here at the end of this when we consider the strengths of our spouses, then the failings will be less noticeable. I noticed no failings in my wife. There are none. She's just an amazing person. She has strengths that go on and on and on. Now Not everybody does, but they do have strengths. And so you want to make sure that you focus on those things and then you can support them in the things that they're weak in. It is so easy in life to focus on the negative, but let us not do so, especially in regards to our spouses. Instead, let us love, cherish, and honor one another. In so doing, the Lord will look with favor upon our marriages. I can tell you that I have a wife that absolutely I don't even need to look for the negative because it is all positive. What a great deal I have. You know, I don't mean to make anybody else jealous or whatever. I just have it made. I, I I don't know how to say it beyond that. And I would not be saying this right now if she was here because I'd be embarrassing her. And I don't like to do that. But I did do it one time for the people. And uh, she's amazing. Anyway, verse
1: 320. Um, Slate, oh, sorry. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged.
0: That's 21.
1: I didn't do, uh, children. Yes, yeah, there you children go. Children, okay. obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord.
0: Okay. Yeah, you know, I thought maybe they had turned the verse around and we're talking uh, fathers and then children. And then I'm like, oh, that can't be. Okay, so this one is very close, but it says, Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. So we'll see what this I uh, Just so you know, also, I, I'll explain this to you because you might think, what am I doing um, I typed a line by line commentary of the New Testament. And so I use that commentary and that way I don't have to remember all this stuff. Otherwise, so uh, these notes are, I probably typed Colossians six to eight years ago. And so I don't check them before the class. And and so I don't know what I've typed, but, uh, and I was wrong. I said that I would say something about, what did I say? Oh, the uh, volitional love. I did not have that in that commentary, but um, normally I can kind of peg what I had said eight years ago because the Bible just kind of follows itself. But, okay, verse 320. This verse is a shortened form of Ephesians 6, 1 through 13. Okay, I told you that it very closely uh, matches Ephesians uh, in what Paul is saying and in his thoughts, and we've already seen some of that. I said 1 13, it's 1 through 3. So, um, children, obey your parents. This is Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. In the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and that, and you may live long on the earth. Okay, so it follows closely with that saying, children, obey your parents in all things for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Okay, the necessity of children to be obedient to their parents is found throughout scripture, both implicitly and explicitly. Solomon admonished it to youth of his audience when he wrote the words of Proverbs chapter one. Proverbs chapter one is just a great, great thing for if young people want to learn where to get their head screwed on straight, that's probably the best place in the world to start is with Proverbs chapter one. But uh, there are lots of other things in Proverbs that will help, you know, young people that are seeking out what to do right. But Proverbs chapter one, verses uh, eight and nine, my son, hear the instruction of your father and do not forsake the law of your mother. For they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Okay, so listen to your parents in this, and then he gives all kinds of wisdom in Proverbs—not just one, but you know, all the way through there. The young man, watch out for the, you know, the wayward wife, and all of these kind of things. If you just uh, pay attention in the book of Proverbs, it is wisdom literature. Okay, it's not. Some people take Proverbs and they apply it in a manner that says. This applies to all situations. This is in the word of God. And therefore, if I do this, then what he warns against will not happen. And that's not the case. It is wisdom literature, which means that it is a general guideline for life. Okay. Um, The good example of that is train your children up in the way of the Lord. And when they are older, they will not depart from it. That doesn't always happen. Okay. There are times where children are trained in the way of the Lord and they do not uh, stay close to the Lord. They walk away from him and they never come back. Okay, so you can't say that the word failed because the purpose of wisdom literature is to give you guidance and guidelines. It's not to say if you do this, this is going to happen. Okay, there are some things in the Bible that if uh, it says that if you do this, this will happen. But that is not the purpose of wisdom literature. So be careful when you read Proverbs not to take something and say, if I do this and it doesn't happen, then God has failed me. That's not the purpose of it, okay? Wisdom is wisdom. It is something, if you raise your children up properly, it is pretty sure that your children will grow up to be normal-brained children. It's not always given, especially if you send them off to a liberal college or any college today. They're, they're going to be ruined. I can't tell you how many times over the past 10 years I have had people email me and said, say to me, we sent our child off to college and now he is completely departed from the Lord. I've heard that countless times okay not just people in the church not just people that attend online but people just in general conversations i hear it all the time you are ruining your children by sending them to college unless you i don't know i don't know what you're going to do to keep them from being affected if they go to college but it is going to happen because they are so liberal and they take everything that is good and right in this world and they twist it just enough so that there's a doubt about everything. So you need to be very careful how you uh, handle your relationship with your child who is going off to higher education, because it's no longer higher education. It's like get high education. It's terrible. So um, just, I don't know what to tell you about that, but they say that nowadays a college, I've read about four articles in the past month where college no longer has the effect that it once did anyway. Because people that don't go to college in their life, if they get a good trade skill or if they develop themselves in a business apart from college, they will usually be more successful than college people will. The college people will make more initially, but over the long run, they will not be uh, any further ahead than a person that doesn't go. So, you know, you just have to figure out what you want to do in life. But sending your child off to college and thinking they are strong enough in Christ may not be the case. Just a word of warning for you. Okay, having stated this, Proverbs 1, 8, 9, having stated this, Paul is speaking of proper things which would be pleasing to the Lord. The word all things cannot mean things which are contrary to what the Lord would ordain for people to do. Okay, you just have to be careful with that because when the Bible says all, it does not always mean all in the absolute sense. And I could take you, I've done that before, through many examples where not every, every means every, not all, alls mean all. Um, uh, just one quick example is that um, it says that John was out in the wilderness baptizing and all Jerusalem and Judea came to him to be baptized. And just another couple chapters later, it says that the Pharisees did not uh, accept the word of John because they were not baptized by him. Therefore, not every, every means every, not every, every means all, or all means all. So, uh All Jerusalem was astirred when Jesus was born, okay? And the context of it shows you very clearly that most of Jerusalem was asleep and they didn't know that the Messiah was coming. When it says that, it was speaking about all of the leaders of Jerusalem who were called before Herod. They are representing Jerusalem, even though it's just a select group of people. So uh, just be careful with context with the word all. And that's what uh, you're being warned here as well. Um, The words all things cannot mean things which are contrary to what the Lord would ordain for his people to do, obviously. In such instances, disobedience to the parents' directives would be the proper course of action. Even as children within a household, obedience to God's word must come first. Okay, if your parents are not doing something that is in accord with scripture, you are to be Uh, You know, honoring of your parents, but you are not to obey the thing that they are telling you to do, which is a violation of scripture. There must be a hierarchy in your life, and you have to know that in advance. What is the hierarchy that I'm going to follow? Because if the government tells me to do something contrary to the word of God, I ain't going to do it. They can send me to prison, but I'm not going to do it. Okay? That's how it should be. You should be willing to stand up for what you believe in a set of priorities. This is priority one, this is priority two, this is priority three, and somewhere way, way, way down here at the very bottom of it is what you're going to have for dinner. But all these other things are really important issues that you need to think through before you are faced with that. A good example of that is Corrie ten Boom, right? She had a decision she made about the Jewish people, and she said, I'm going to stick with this. I am going to follow through with this, and she did. It was the right moral decision to make, even if it was against the law of the land. Hence, when it says in Romans 13 that you were to be obedient to the rulers, there has to be a moral deviation from that if, in fact, the government is telling you to do something that is not biblical. All right. So, um, however, when God's word must come first, however, when the instructions of one's parents is in line with Scripture, or at least neutral in regards to Scripture, then obedience to them is right and proper. And, you know, like this uh, young man, he, he, I'm not giving him as an example. I'm just saying that there are, uh, you know, certain young people that attend online. Okay. I don't know their ages for most of them, but I know that they're between, we'll say, uh, 10 and 22. Where they're in that, that, that age. And, you know, they'll email and they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm in high school or I'm whatever. And I have this problem at home with my parents. Okay. And what should I do? And I will say, now, I'm not here to get in between you and your parents in this. And I will take what I've said here, and I'll say, you know, you must be obedient to your parents, but you also have to find uh, follow the highest rule, which is the Lord's rule, okay? I have to be uh, honest with Scripture in this. I said, but if what they are telling you is not in violation of Scripture or it's neutral to Scripture, you need to do what they say. That is what must happen, and I try to uh, tell them that in a way that they will process it properly. They need to make sure that they are being obedient to their parents because those are their parents, and that is what the law would ask them, or the the law of God would ask them to do. But uh, at the same time, if their parents are asking them to do something that is contrary to God's law, contrary to Scripture, they need to not do that. They can tell their parents. They can say, you know what, this is. This is not in accord with God's law, and I am going to stand on Jesus. That's all there is to it. And that's going to cause a problem, you know, and they can say, well, Uncle Charlie told me to do that. You know what? The Bible told me to tell them. Okay. That's I just I it's a very tough thing to be put in that type of a position, but you have to uphold what is morally right above all else. Okay. And the parents, if they're wrong and they want to email me and say, well, here's what we're doing, I say, if you're what you're doing is wrong, you should not be teaching your children to do that. It's just 1 plus 1 should equal 2. So, whatever. Okay, so, um, uh, I'll read that last sentence again so you get it. However, when the instructions of one's parents is in line with Scripture, or at least neutral in regard to Scripture, then obedience to them, meaning the parents, is right and proper. As Paul notes, For this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Christ was obedient to his Father, and he has set the example for all others to follow. There is a strict hierarchy which has been ordained by God and to which we are expected to adhere. In doing so, we will be pleasing to the Lord. If we're not doing what the Bible says, we can't be pleasing to the Lord. Parents tell him to do something that uh, is contrary to the Bible, then the kid is not going to be obedient to the Lord and pleasing to the Lord. But if he is and they're telling him to do something else and he's being obedient to them, then everybody is in a good position, whether they like it or not. Okay, the Lord must come first. The parents can come next. And then, as I said, you make your hierarchy uh, in life and you stick to it. And, you know, we have choices to make in this life. And when we stick by them, we will be remembered as people of integrity like Corey Ten Boom and others like her. Anyway, life application. Again, Paul has set a standard for conduct within the family, which is expected to be adhered to. Concerning children, how obvious it is that they should, in fact, be obedient to their parents. But this is not just a responsibility which is laid upon them. Rather, when they are disobedient, it is time for the parents to enforce the rules of the house. It is something that seems almost foreign to modern families, though. If you ever watch any of the Simpsons, I stopped watching them like 25 years ago. But Bart Simpson ran the house. And he was always telling Homer what to do, and Homer would never tell Bart what to do. And and that's not the proper biblical model to follow. I'm sorry, okay? That's not how it works. And all of these uh, children's movies that you see come out, it's always got this hint of the child being the leader of the house. doesn't work that way, and if that's the way the house is being run, the house is not going to be successful. And that kid is going to grow up being, one, a loser, two, probably in jail, and three, maybe being killed by somebody, okay? It's just the way of the world. That's, you know, you reap what you sow, and when you do things that are inappropriate, your children are the ones that are going to end up in that basket case of your sowings. In Hollywood, just like
1: in The Simpsons, will always show the male uh, father as a
0: dope. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Father is an idiot. He doesn't know what he's doing. It's it's an attack against the structure Mm. of the family, which is, uh, in turn, an attack against the structure of the nation, because this nation was founded on those principles. And they don't want this nation to succeed. They have a, a agenda, which has been going on for many, many, many generations now, and they are working steadily to destroy the nuclear family, and they have pretty much succeeded in it. Okay, There is no longer any respect for parents. There is no longer any respect for uh, being a virgin on your wedding night. All that kind of stuff has just been tossed out the window. And so this is the world we live in, this is where we are, and we just have to live within it and, and uh, try our best to counsel people that you are following the wrong path. Anyway, uh, when they are disobedient, as I said, it's time for the parents to enforce the rules of the house. It is something that is almost foreign to modern families, but just because it is unpopular to discipline children, it does not mean that it is wrong. Solomon says this in Proverbs chapter 23. Um, and I could go on and on about that particular issue. Just because something is legal does not mean that it is right. Hence, we I have the legal issue of abortion. Okay? But I don't think uh, anybody in this building right now would say that abortion is a good thing. It is a moral and right thing in the eyes of God. Okay? If you do, maybe you should stay after and I'll talk to you. But... Um, Proverbs 23, where are we? We're going to go to verse 13. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Okay, the word there, hell is Oh, It would be the pit, okay? In other words, he's going to go out and he's going to do something stupid when he's older. He's going to get himself killed. He's going to end up in the pit. So that's He's just going to be waiting his final judgment. So um, uh, that's Proverbs And are you going to trust a TV show or the word of God in how to raise your children? It's your choice. You know, you're the parent. you got to decide, where am I going to put down my foot? And if you're going to just allow the child to go uh, willy-nilly and do what he wants to, you're going to have a child that grows up to be a loser, okay? Um, Going back to the abortion issue, uh, just because it's legal, it doesn't mean it's right. And if you want to use that argument, if the people come up to you and they want to argue abortion, they say, well, it's legal and therefore it's right, then you say, well, let me ask you that was it right that we had slavery? And the same people that say, oh yeah, abortion is right, then you cannot condone the slave owners of the past. You cannot condone them. I'm sorry, you cannot judge them. You cannot uh, uh, say that what they were doing was wrong because it was legal at the time and therefore your stand here has no merit because that was legal and what they did was legal and therefore their actions were acceptable. And all of a sudden they're going to have a mental dilemma in their head, and they're going to say, "Well, that it doesn't work that way. That's obviously wrong, and this is obviously right." Well, you tell me why. You just said that it's because it's legal, we can do this, and it's morally okay. Then it was morally okay to have slaves, and therefore those people cannot be imputed wrongdoing.
1: They're all dead.
0: Yeah, it, it, you know the, the whole thing. The whole thing, in the the thinking of the people on the left is is deviant. There is nothing of rational, cognitive thinking. It's all animal emotion, as Peter would call them, brute beasts. Or as the that would be in this version, in that version, Peter would call them unreasoning animals. And that's what they are. That's what they have become on the left. I don't know if you saw what 210 uh, U.S. House representatives yesterday voted against saving the life of a child that lives through an abortion. 210 Democrats, every single one of them, voted against that precept. If a child is born in an abortion alive, it must be given immediate medical treatment. 210 Democrats united against that and voted it. It was passed, and it will be vetoed by the president, as will everything else. But we're, we're okay. living in a world where people are mentally deranged that are sitting in high places. They're running the show for the most part in tech companies, they're running the show in uh, branches of government, and we are the ones that are living under this insanity. So, we'll see where it all goes. We know where it's all going to go eventually, but in the meantime, we have each day to live through, and we'll just see where each day takes us. But, you had something? No, No.
1: that's, that's why persecution is going to be what it's going to oh, be. Oh,
0: absolutely. They're
1: just like nuts. And yeah, they are, are, are nuts. They're
0: rolling with it. They're going, yeah, yeah, it's, it's all okay. Everything's fine. We, you know, burn down a building is okay, but it's I won't get into it. I, 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 in oh Yeah, I, I use that one a lot. You can take a child up to the day of it coming out of the mother's womb and kill it, and there's no recourse, but if I go out to Turtle Beach, where when I was young, I could have gone out and had, you know, steak and eggs on the beach every single day, and nobody would have said a thing. But now, if you go over and you simply put your hand inside of that square that they put around that turtle cage, you will be arrested. And if you break one of the eggs, you can go to jail, okay? You can be uh, prosecuted and you can end up in jail. It's just unbelievable. And they say that that's a living turtle. Right. But the thing in the womb is just a lump of flesh. Makes no sense. Yeah, right. Okay, makes no sense at all. Okay, we are in 321. We are. Uh Uh-oh, somebody's talking to you.
1: Okay, so, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged.
0: Okay, this one is different. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So you can embitter them or you can provoke them, okay? Uh, Embittering would be a little bit different. And, uh, oh, I got it here, so we'll find out what is closer. Um, This verse is a close match to Ephesians 6, 4, which follows right after Ephesians 6, 3 which we just read. So Ephesians 6, 4, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Okay, that is something that we are told to do. It is something that we are required to do as Christians. Bring your children up in the training and admonition of the Lord. I can't tell you how many people I know that say, well, I don't bring my kids to, to church because they get restless. Or they, you know what? Mom said, that when I was young, I was the perfect child at church every day. Okay, that's not true. She said I was horrified. She said I was, I was literally, I, did- I don't remember any of this, but she said that I was literally terrible. But I remember being in church and I remember it doing me good, despite what she says. And I still find it hard to believe. I think she's misremembered the whole thing. But anyway, I- you know, if your children are being bad, you just you, you get out your rod, as it says, and beat your child. You're not going to kill him. Okay, so there you go. Um, uh, that's what the Bible says to do. Unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so um, it matches Ephesians 6.4. Here it is. The word for provoke is found only here and in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 2. It gives the sense of stirring something up. Okay, so provoke would be better than embitter. Okay. Uh, just because uh, stirring something up is provoking them, okay? His in- I never embittered my child. I never provoked my child. I am the- I was the most annoying father on the planet. They're grown up and I still am. I got to tell you, there are times where my son will look at me and go, <sighs> he just, I I do what I'm told not to do, but he's old enough to know that I'm doing it in fun, but the poor kid. Um, let's see here. Where is it? His intent then is that fathers are not to irritate their children. Well, irritate is kind of a subjective word. (laughs) 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 Poor Thor, he's such a good boy. Uh, In acting in such a manner, they are bound to become, as Paul says, discouraged. Okay, this word is one found only here in scripture, only time. It's uh, thumeo. It gives the sense of being spiritless and thus disheartened, which is what my son would be when he goes, he's just, he's got nothing left, so, uh, but he does it to me, too, so it's its a two-way street with us. We do have fun with each other, but uh, I'm good, good children. I'm so blessed. Anyway, it is not appropriate for a father to beat down a child, and when I'm talking about this, they know I'm kidding them. I know they're kidding me. I never did it in a sense of what this is referring to. It's, well, anger or just, you know, you're a loser and, you know, that kind of stuff. That, that is really what this is talking about. But I, I, you know, my son and I, we really get down on each other. It's great. Okay. Um, uh, Father is meant to do exactly the opposite, not break them down in their spirit, but build up their children so that they will become mature and sound people. Obviously, what I did was the right thing because he is mature and he isn't he. That's Grandma over there, and he is such a good boy. I'm look at she's going like this, and she's so proud. Anyway, you know he's the kind of guy. I might as well just uh, put this here. Um, I'll talk about him because my daughter. Uh, I'll talk about her some other time. She is just she's unbelievable. She's she's unbelievable. We'll start with my son. He he is the kind of guy that he was at the real tall building on Bird Key. With, it's the uh, uh, care home where really, really rich people live. And uh, Hidden Harbor, thank you. And, and what? Plymouth Harbor, thank you. Pry- Plymouth Harbor, that's right. He was there working there for many years. And everybody asked for my son to come in and tend to him. And one guy took him. Anytime he went to Europe, he wanted Thor. He wouldn't have anybody else take him. He would take him. He'd pay for everything. They would go all over Europe. He wanted to take him to China and his health failed and that never happened. But he, anytime he did anything, I'm going to New York, He'd get him a hotel room, a $400 a night hotel room, all the food, his sister would come over and visit him because she lives up there in New York. And the, he, the guy just, he loved my son. And my son was, he's so kind to people. I don't know how he got that because I'm not really a very kind person. I know, yeah, you know that. Yeah. Well, yeah, he got it from mom, that's true. But he's very kind, he's very, and he, now he's working at Sarasota Memorial Hospital. Everybody asks for him. There's no end to the jealousy of the other nurses because he's in. Because therapy now, right? he's in fi- I don't. I guess he always changes, and he never tells me what he's up to at the time. But uh he, he is he's the most sound person, and it had to have come from mom. Yeah. And yeah. Then my daughter is. She is like Ketico as far as as far as uh, what is strength. She she's a dynamo. There there's no end to her strength. Uh, She's got lots of physical problems. Since she was 12 years old, she's had every possible thing go wrong in her body that can go wrong. And she never complains. She never whines. It just, she's very strong about those things where if I get, I stub my little toe, I'll be in bed for a week. Okay. So she did not get that from me. Uh, She got, Hedico, Hedico one time fell down the stairs. She was walking into the bedroom and she thought instead she was walking into the stairs. And down she went, dump, 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 dump. Hit her head on the concrete wall at the end. She broke her back. The next morning she didn't want to go to the doctor. I'm okay, I'm okay. She we took her to the doctor because her head was this big. I'm going to work. I said, You're not going to work. We're taking you to the emergency room right now. It was purple and blue and it was huge. And we get there and they checked her out. She has a little bit of a concussion. She's gonna make it. And they said, Is there anything else wrong with you? She says, Well, my back hurts. Oh, you've broken your back. If it was me, I would, I would have been like, oh, I can't move. She is, she's absolutely without pain. And my daughter is like that. And so she's up there working in a medical facility in New York. And what happens, she gets, um, uh, she's so good at what she does. They move her into another office and she's so good at what she does. She takes over the office and she's so good at what she does. She has no training in any of this. She takes over the entire section of offices. She's running all of the people. And then what happens is, recently, she's so good at what she does, is that the, the it would be like the chief administrator at Sarasota Memorial Hospital, but on steroids, this giant complex. This lady is retiring next year, and she walked up and she said, you are replacing me next year when I retire. And my daughter's been following her around now for the past six months, learning this job, taking over uh, something that you need to have college education and you need to have years of training before it she's got no skill in this and she's taking it over and she does the, have skill
1: it's just that she it's just, for it. she she, just she didn't pay
0: it. for it she just has it and so here and every time i i talked to her i said is this still on are you still yeah i'm still taking over so, it, so she'll never move back well that's just it she was she's been saying she's moving back and then finally this past year i'm, I'm coming i'm And then this came up and I said, for the first time, I'm the one who said, you you need to stay in New York. I I, I can't believe I said that because it's such a horrifying place. But she'll be there. And if she can get five years under her belt, she can come down here and and take over Sarasota Memorial without any question. She would just, they would say, we want her. So, or any of the other medical facilities. So, I'm so blessed with these children. And it had nothing to do with me. Literally. I mean, I, I was the most absent father on the planet. So it had, a a great wife is a great thing, I'll tell you that. So anyway, we'll go on. Instead of deriding a child for missing the ball with the bat, the father should encourage him. You know, you go to these t-ball games and things where the fathers are yelling at their children. Like it's the most important thing in the world. You're so stupid, how could you have missed that? And how could you do that to a child? But this is what they're doing. Instead of doing that, that's okay, son, it was a great swing. In the so end who wins that Who what's that who wins the t-ball? yeah nobody wins a t-ball anymore i'm sorry everybody's a winner What is um, t-ball? Everybody it's ball. just where they put the ball on a stand and the kids try to hit it and it's everybody just wins. yeah everybody's everybody a winner wins everyone yeah. gets a trophy everybody gets a trophy it's just you know nowadays it used to be like just they you know the kid couldn't throw the ball far enough so they didn't have a pitcher so they have this thing and the kid hits it and they're just little kids baseball? yeah it's yeah. baseball yeah. but it's just for little kids right. Yeah, anyway, but nowadays Social it's more like it's it's sissy ball. We'll call it sissy ball nowadays because everybody's a winner. Anyway, um, in the end, such positive rather than negative reinforcement will produce the more stable child, okay? It, build them up, encourage them, tell them they've done a good thing, and when they do wrong, get out the rod like Proverbs says and take care of the problem, okay? You've got to be strong when you need to be strong. You need to be encouraging when you need to be encouraging. You need to be emotionally supportive when things don't go right. I mean, this is the world we live in. You have to use judgment when you're raising children, okay? I talked to somebody about um, uh, the gospel this morning at the mall. I talked to this one person, and uh, I said, you know, I want to talk to you about Jesus, and uh, uh, it was during work hours. They just brought in all this heavy stuff and I helped carry it in to get my foot in the door, and And so I'm talking to this individual about Jesus and after giving the introduction, I said, you know, if you want to talk about this later, I want you to let me know because I know you're getting started and I don't like to interrupt people's work. And uh, she said, Oh no, no, that's okay. And so I kept talking and I kept talking and it was, it was such a wonderful thing to be able to talk to this person because it's in a very, uh, I I won't give any information away because I don't want to, it was very nice to talk to this person. And afterward, um, i said I'll, I'll follow up with this and i gave her a tract that i had written and i gave her uh, uh, a business card and i said you know if you ever have questions you don't need to tell me who you are i just send an email and i get them all the time i have no idea who i'm responding to and i just answer so you you know if you want you got a question about what we talked about or anything in the bible send me an email and you don't have to give a name and just i'll answer it okay and uh but one of the questions i asked was do you have children no i don't have any children yet and i said well Trust me on this. I asked her, do you think that you have to teach them to do wrong? And she said, I don't think so. I said, no, you definitely don't have to teach your children to do wrong. They already know how to do wrong. What you need to do is you need to teach them how to do right. And I and the reason why I brought that up is because I wanted to instill in her the understanding of the doctrine of original sin. It's already in us. We're already infected with this this thing. And what we need to do is we need to uh, have that corrected. Then it's in us from the time we're young, it stays with us, and we just keep adding on sins all through life, and that needs to be corrected. And if not, we'll never be reconciled to this great and glorious God that is out there. Because when I first started the talk, and that's why she was so interested, when I first started the talk, I said, what's going to happen to you? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, you're a person, what's going to happen to you? And she said, well, I believe that everything is spiritual, and it doesn't really matter what we do, and uh, you know, kind of one of those things, and after about three minutes of talking, I said, I'll let you think about that, and she said, no, I want you to continue. She'd never taken the time to process logically what must be the case with God, and all you need to do is just very simply tell them, okay, God did these things. You can know it based on what he has done. Can you figure out what I just told you? Yes, I completely understand that. Down the next path. And so we understand what God is like. A good example of this is um, uh, you, you know what love is. Well, if the God that I just told you about created you and you have love, he can't create anything. He, he can, there's nothing that exists that he can't already possess. In other words, he can't create something that he doesn't possess himself. So if you have love, then that means that God has love. But when you give them something like that, the next question, what's the next inevitable question you're going to have when you tell somebody about that? What are they going to ask? I get it every time. Well, then God's the author of? Evil. Evil. And so you have to be ready for that because you say, well, no, God doesn't have any evil in him. Well, if you can't tell him why he doesn't, you've got a problem. So you need to tell him. Then I gave him the same example we always give him. The car. You got a car. I said... This lady's car is right out the window. I said, look at your car. It's nice and shiny. I said, what happens if it gets cancer in it and it has this rust? She says, well, it's going to have a big hole in it. I said, exactly. What is that hole? She said, well, I don't know. She said, I said, it is the absence of good. It's the absence of what is supposed to be there. Metal there is good. No metal there is bad. I said, and therefore you have an absence of goodness. God didn't create that. That is our fault. And so we have something that God does not possess and he is not the author of evil. He's the author of good and we come along and we take what is good and we, we develop an absence in the goodness through our lying, through our stealing, through our, our actions and our thoughts. I said, that is what evil is. So you can't ascribe evil to God. But once people start thinking that way, they have realize, I'm accountable. I'm accountable to this God. And it doesn't take long if you just simply logically follow them through this. And then you give them the gospel and you say, this is what God has done for you. I would hope that you would accept this. It's a very simple thing that he has done. Please do that today. And so, you know, that's her choice whether she accepts the gospel or not. And every person that you talk to, it's always going to be their choice. There's no point in forcing it on them. But you give them the information. Always back it up with something. Here's a track that says what I said. Or give me a call if you want to talk about this more. Please, you don't know when your day is going to c- come to an end, so be ready. Call on Jesus now. You know, kind of give them a little bit of a, a shove along and let them to decide. But this is what we are to be doing as parents as well, reinforcing these things in our children, bringing the, them up in the fear and the admonition of the Lord so that someday they'll go out and tell people about Jesus, just like you're doing today. Okay, that's what you would hope would, they would be doing.
1: So the the whence came evil, the, the simple answer to that is it came from nowhere. You took away good.
0: That's right. That's so, exactly right. You took away good. We, through our actions, have produced a state of evil. Evil is the absence of good. If you just think of it that way, because that's exactly what it, Your actions are evil, says the Lord. Well, what does that mean? It they're means that good. they're doing something that is not good. It is not in accord with the will of God. Your actions are evil. It is the absence of good. People, all they need to do is understand these basic things. And they will, for the first time in their life, probably, start thinking rationally about things that they just, they don't even want to consider most of the time because they're so busy with life and they're busy with their phones and they're busy with their job and, you know, taking care of all these responsibilities, Whatever. Okay. Once you start to think clearly, hopefully you will think clearly in the proper way towards God, because a lot of people will think clearly. They no longer have, you know, faults in the way they speak and the, the logic they present, and yet they remained atheists. Well, that's that's a problem. Okay. They really haven't thought the, the bigger issue through as much as they should have, but uh, you guys are out of here. Have a great night. All right. Uh, uh, Thanks
1: again, Don.
0: Tutor well, please. Yeah, thank you for uh, what you helped me with too. Thank you. Uh, and nice truck there, Chief. He got a new truck today, so. Yeah, yeah. He got rid of the the new expensive one, and he got an old, older than mine. He got a Ford Ranger that looks beautiful. It looks brand new, one owner, very low miles, just like my old truck. What? Uh, he sold it to a Coast Guard person going off to a uh, Coast Guard school. Yeah. So that's too bad because I knew some people that were interested in, and I emailed him yesterday and I said, you know, do you have this? And what are you going to charge for it? And he said, already gone. And it was gone immediately. So it's a very nice truck. But anyway, okay, we got to get back to this. Um, um, okay, life application. In dealing with your children, ask yourself if you would like to be treated the way they are being treated. How often we expect more of our children than we would of ourselves? It is true, we should want them to become even better people than we are, but growing is a process that takes time and encouragement, and they're never going to grow and become better than we are unless we support them, and unless we encourage them, and unless we build them up. It's not going to happen. So, you know, it's our choice how we're going to treat our children, but the more encouragement and positiveness we give them. But... This isn't the power of positive thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. This is the positive encouragement of the Bible, of the way that God wants things to be. It's fine to encourage people positively and self-motivational and all that kind of stuff, but in the end, you need to have God in the equation or it's just kind of futile, all right? It just is. Okay, 322 for you.
1: Yes, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eyes are on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord.
0: Okay, now this is very close, and yet it's completely different. Bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, but not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart fearing God. So says essentially the same thing, but in a completely different right. way. Um, uh, I had something I was going to add into that. Um, uh, oh, well, it's gone. It's gone. The brain is... Oh, yeah, I know what I was going to say. We're on our fourth verse tonight. Oh, yeah. We might we, finish Colossians we... tonight. This is great. Okay. We uh, just might. Wow. Yeah, well, these are just very short commentaries oh, because they're. It, it's repeating from other things in Ephesians like this. Here we go. Verses 22 through 25 closely match Ephesians 6, 5 through 8. So we'll go back there again. 6, and then five, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, insincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, same thing he says there, as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or So you can see how closely Paul's thoughts are in that epistle to this one here. So we don't need a lot of extra new commentary, but it's still good to review it. Um, There are some differences in the two passages, though, and we'll go ahead and evaluate those. So far, Paul has noted relations in the immediate family within the household. This is one almost as close and maybe even closer as far as daily contact is concerned. Okay, the term bondservant is as good as one can get from the Greek word doulos. Okay, that one says slaves. A bondservant is an unpaid servant. It could be a slave. It could be somebody that's bonded for other reasons. But um, a bondservant is about as good as you're going to get with the word doulos. Okay, Um, uh, just had another point and it's gone again. The term applies to one who is bound to the service of another. Oh, yeah, I know what I was going to say is uh, when I say that this could be as close as any other relationship within the family and maybe even closer because of the time contact during the day is because the bond servant will be there all day attending to the master. Whereas the children may go off to school, the wife may go off to a party or whatever, but the bond servant is always there in the house. And so if you work from home then or if you don't work because you're rich enough then you're going to have more contact with these people than you will with even your own family. And that is the same as what? Your employer, employer and the people you work with. Okay. And as, as I said last week, I think it might have been two weeks ago, we can't make a one-to-one comparison on this, but we can say that Paul's precept belongs also to workers in a company or workers in, you know, um, whatever, government service or whatever your job is because you are serving another person. In this case, they didn't have quite the same setup that we do, but it's the same principle. You are there, you are being led by another and you are to be obedient to that person because that person is giving you employment and pay for your service. So whatever, their their pay is their home where they live. Their pay is the food that they receive and so on. So you can make a a similar equation without making a one-to-one comparison about this. Okay, doulas. The term applies to one who is bound to the service of another. This could be a voluntary subjection, which we do see in the Old Testament, the uh, Hebrew law, or an involuntary duty. We also see that, where a person is caught uh, in war, for example, and that that person becomes their slave, and that person will be a slave forever and there're all kinds of rules back in the uh, law of Moses that we covered over the past few years concerning people like that. Hebrew slaves were different. They could bond themselves to a person for how long? Uh, Until the 7th year. So if they if it was the 6th year, one year. If it's in the first year, Seven years. But in the seventh year, they were to release that person. And the term was to necklace them when they left. They were to just shower them with abundance because he is worth more to you, six times more than a non-Hebrew servant. Okay? So uh, they were to treat them well when they were done, send them out, and give them their freedom in the seventh year. So up to seven years. The seventh year, the year of uh, release, they were supposed to let all of the Hebrew slaves go, whereas the other ones never got let go. There was an exception does anybody remember what the exception was? this would be a great question yeah that would have been a great question for the uh for the uh bible quiz uh the um uh if that person i wonder if i have it let me see if i can find my wallet hang on if that person um i bet you i've lost it from my wallet but let me go over here and see if i can find this um i may have it in here i i Dude, I've carried this around for years. I have an all out the truck, and we could probably Yeah, that would be one. great. It's an all through an <laughs> earlobe. Here it is. I still have it, wow. right under Hedico's picture. This goes back to the time when I made my full commitment to the Lord. Uh, I made it really, really small, did, and I took it to the bank, and I had it notarized, and uh, okay. Uh, this is back in 2003, 28 October 2003 and all through my earlobe, to my Master and Redeemer, Jesus Christ. As your bondservant, it is my heartfelt desire to give my life entirely to you forever. In accordance with Exodus 21, 5, and 6, I declare the following. I love you as my Master. I and my wife and children have committed our lives to you, and I do not want to go free from your presence. May my signature below be acceptable as an all through my ear into you the door of salvation. When you brought me out of spiritual Egypt, you called me as yours. It was with love of a caring and gracious master. And since that time, you have blessed me in every way. May my every breath and step be in line with your wishes. When I stray, rebuke me gently and have mercy on my family and me. May your Holy Spirit indwell me at all times and continue to fill me with each passing moment. I look forward to eternity with you, ever mindful of my position as your lowly and humble bond servant. And I signed it and a little smiley face with an exclamation point at the end. Hey,
1: don't put so, it away. I want to take a picture. Oh, of
0: that. okay. Anyway, there you go. That's uh, uh, So I've been carrying that all these years. And so that is the exception to the Hebrew slave. He is never to be released. Once he does that, he has committed himself to his master forever. They take him to the, the gate, the door of the, uh, they have his ear pierced through, and then uh, he is bonded to that master forever. And it's a picture of our time in Christ, our life in Christ. If you don't know that, go back and watch that sermon. You'll love it. It's hey, great when stuff. The,
1: when the police pull you over, wagon and traffic, do you show
0: them I, No, what I show them is my get out of jail free card, and then they just let me go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, where were we? We are in verse 3, 22, is that right? Yes, 22. Okay, Um, yeah, 22. Okay, Uh, so we talked about the difference. Oh, bondservant, that's what got me off on that one. Uh, Bondservant is as good as one can get from the Greek word doulos, okay? And as I I went through and I talked about the different types of slavery in the Old Testament, Uh, their rights, these bondservants, were extremely limited, even in the best of cases. In some instances, they had virtually no rights at all. And yet there is a note of reward for even them, which will be fully realized when we get to verse 24. For the Christian bondservant, Paul instructs them to obey in all things your masters. Despite the many difficult rigors often suffered under cruel masters, Paul simply makes the command. He does not qualify it with, if they are good masters, nor does he give any hint that they have a right to rebel. Now, think of that in your job. You are getting paid by this person. You have no rights to rebel from him at all. And if you don't like it, at least you have the option to say, I'm out of here. But as long as you're taking pay from that person then that person is your employer, you need to be obedient to that employer. That's how it should work because his money is being invested in you because he has taken the time to hire you and put his trust in you. That's just the way it works. If you don't like it, there is always the door. It's right over there. You can leave. These people did not have that. And yet Paul gives no qualifiers at all. You will be obedient to your master. That's it. Okay. To not do so then would be to be against the will of God. And that's just how it is. And Paul, he he's very adamant about this. If they are good masters, he doesn't give any hint that they have a uh, right to rebel if they are not. And the status of slaves or bond servants was simply a fact of life. Those who were so bound were to accept it. However, he does give a note concerning slaves elsewhere that is worth citing. 1 Corinthians chapter seven. What does he say? anybody know what he says there? If you are a slave, oh, um, if you can be free, that's exactly it. This girl knows her Bible as well as anybody I've ever known. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 20. It says there. Uh, no, that's virgins. Okay. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. This guy is a slave. He's living under an oppressive master. And yet he is the Lord's freed man. He no longer has the shackles of condemnation over him. He has a heavenly hope. And so what can that guy do to him except send him to heaven? That's it. But he says, likewise, he who was called, well, free is Christ's slave. I was free before I typed that. I was my own person. I could have done whatever I wanted, but now I am Christ's slave. I am bound by a higher calling to my master. Okay, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. So he's saying, if you can get your freedom as a slave, do it. If you are not a slave, don't become a slave of men because you already have a higher master. Everything Paul says makes sense when you look at it in relation to the world around you. Okay, it's what the Lord would expect of us. Brethren, let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. But he does qualify it as Rhoda noted. Okay, if you can get your freedom, go for it, buddy. Okay, however, as long as a person was bound, they were to be obedient to their masters, and yet Paul adds on a descriptor for them to consider. It is a master according to the flesh. How was yours worded? Um. Okay, let's see. Uh, it was different. It wasn't according to the... Reverence for the Lord?
1: No, what are you saying? Okay, slaves, obey your earthly masters and everything, and do it not only when their eyes are on you, that would be it. No.
0: That's right, not when your eyes are on you. He's saying according to the flesh here. In other words, there are human limitations which are being spoken of here. Paul is implying that they are bondservants of another, meaning Jesus, as well, which is not according to the flesh. It is for this reason that they were to be obedient to their human master. That's the whole reason why they were. I am a slave of Christ. I am your slave, and so I'm going to be the best slave that I can be, even if you're the worst master in the world, because I am have a calling to him, and that takes priority over you, and therefore I'm going to give you my very best, regardless of what you do to me. In other words, okay, yes, I said that. Um, it is for this reason that they were to be obedient to their human master. Paul then asks that such bond servants be obedient, not with eye service. It is a word used only here and in Ephesians 6, 6, the corresponding verses, and it appears to be a word invented By him, there are several words in the New Testament that are not found anywhere else in Greek literature, ancient Greek literature. This is one of them. Uh, It would be a, a Pauline original. There are a couple others in the New Testament outside of Paul that are not found anywhere else. And it's like in English, okay? We will take two words and we'll put them together that nobody has ever used in the history of the world. And you know exactly what he's talking about because we compound words all the time. And that's very easy to do in Greek. It's very common in Greek. You just take this particle and this word and this word, put it together, and you've got something completely different that everybody will understand the first time that they hear it. They'll know exactly what is being said. Um, every time I give that example, I, I try to think of something in English, and I can never think of one. And then as soon as I leave and I'm driving home, I think of a great compound word that I make up just for fun. I think of a compound word here. Um, You're, um, uh, uh, let's see here. Right. How about this?
1: A... Uh, uh. Bus where there's a big accident, you could call it a slaughterhouse bus.
0: There, a slaughterhouse bus, and everybody would know what that's saying. Or you could take two words and combine them, like saying you're a ridiculous um, uh, uh, painter. Uh, painter. So you're a ridiculous painter, or something. I don't know. You know what I'm saying. I I can think of great words when I'm alone. I can never do it when I'm under pressure. Yeah, pinocular, pinocular
1: vision, vision. That, he made there that up go. when
0: we were at the uh at the um projects we go around and we pick up pennies every week who can find the most pennies endless supply. endless supply of pennies okay and one day he said well you've got pinocular vision everybody knows what that means it's a penny and it's ocular so pinocular great and we do this all the time well paul has done that here it is a word used only here and it appears to be invented by Paul. The use of it is to indicate someone who serves only when the eye is master, uh, when the, the eye of his master is present. Okay, so uh, with not with eye service, and that's a word that is obviously two separate words: I and service. Eye service. Okay, so we're doing eye service. As soon as the boss leaves, we do something else. So even that is a word that was not originally one word; it was two words that somebody put together. Okay. And uh, that gives the good intent of the Greek there, okay? So, uh, it's a person who serves only when the eye of his master is present, okay? What do we say? When the cat's away, the mice will play, play. okay? And we talk about that in the work environment all the time. The boss is left. It's time for the mice to play, and everybody goes out and does something they're not supposed to do, okay? When the master is out, he refuses to conduct his duties as he should. Paul says that this is inappropriate. Rather... A servant is to serve his master in the same manner as he would serve the Lord, which means at all times, because the Lord is always there. The slave knows that he's there. He's always going to try to be pleasing to the Lord. So why does he think he can get away with not being pleasing to his master, especially now that it's put into the Bible and the Bible says to do so? So now he's under a double obligation. He next explains what that means, saying not as men-pleasers, The word is also found only here and again in Ephesians 6.6. It indicates someone who is willing to please man rather than God. The idea of both of these words is that a bondservant is to look to his duties to his master, whether he's a good master or a crummy one, as if he was actually serving the Lord. In so doing, he would be a responsible representative of the Lord in the presence of of his master okay if i was at the mall every day working and i was always stealing something or if i was always doing something i shouldn't be doing and everybody knew that and then i went and talked to him about jesus what do you think the reaction would be now i sit there and i do things and they they when they first see me they always i see new people get into the car like they're going to the deli and here's this guy with these dirty old clothes and i'm feeding all the birds with this the bags of garbage next to me i do it every morning and I see these girls like talking. And then after about two weeks, they're like, hi, Charlie. You know, they—they. They, it just takes a while to know that I'm not as crazy as I look, okay? But so I do things that people may think are a little odd at first, but I'm not doing anything that would be, uh, you know, bring the Lord into reproach when I do talk to them about Jesus. And I try to get to everybody eventually. I have to have the right time. I, I you know, you, you just need to make sure that you don't ever... But the girl that I talked to today, last week, I was walking by and I said, Lord, you know, if she comes out, because she's been there long enough now where she knows me and and I, she knows I'm not just going to come up in a her or something. So I, uh, I, uh, I uh, said, Lord, if she comes out to her car today, I will go talk to her. And she never did. And so today I was walking by and I had my buckets and she's coming from her car with this big, heavy thing. And I said, here, let me take that. Well, as far as I'm concerned, the obligation is still on last week. So I said, well, when I get in there, I'm at least going to introduce the subject. And I'm glad I did because she just wanted to, she didn't want to stop. She wanted to hear more and more and more. So praise God, we'll see what happens with her. But wonderful stuff anyway. Uh, uh, but you're not going to be able to do that if you're out there doing things you shouldn't be doing at work. Okay, so... Um, not as men-pleasers, okay, the idea of both of these words, I read that, in so doing, he would be a responsible representative of the Lord in the presence of his master. This is explained in the next words, but as bondservants of Christ. By acting as a bondservant of Christ, even for his earthly master, he will then be doing it in sincerity of heart, fearing God. That's Paul's words. Paul puts a stress on the value of the heart, being sincere in the performance of the bondservant's duties. In this sincere attitude, a demonstration that one's heart is directed toward a proper fear of God is seen. Okay, the Lord is reading the hearts, but that will also be expressed in how you do your duties, and the master will see it as well. And it is God who looks upon the heart to determine the value of all people's actions. Okay, I gotta read quickly because we only got four more minutes, Mm -hmm. and I've got two more paragraphs. As we have a different system of employment in the world today, we need to adapt that system to Paul's words. Rather than masters, we have bosses. However, we are to treat our bosses with the same respect that the bondservant is called to for his master. We are not to be employees who perform with mere eye service, nor are we to simply be men-pleasers. We are to act as if we are reporting to Christ, making the most efficient use of our time under the employ of our employers, okay? That's just the way of the world. If your employee isn't doing a good job, then you say, buddy, you got to go. And likewise, if he's doing a good job, you should say, you're doing a great job. And, you know, maybe I'll give you something at Christmas or something. I don't know, whatever, Uh, you know, bonus time at the end of the year or something. But um, that's how it should work. But as the employee, even if you don't get that, You should still be doing your part. Life application. In the world, it is so easy to fall in with the labor union mentality. I almost brought that up earlier, and there it is. I thought, I'm not going to get into it because I'll go on too long. But the liberal attitude, both in government and in private industry, says that it is okay to not work to the highest standard of integrity and diligence. But the Bible tells us otherwise. Now, I will say this just so that people know where I stand on unions. Unions made America great, and unions have destroyed America. There was a time when it was necessary because people were being abused, okay? They served their usefulness. People were uh, brought into a state of prosperity, never seen in the history of the world, and since then, all they have done is destroy the nation that was made great by them, okay? It's not the only reason why America's great. I'm just saying that it was a part of it. Because there was a lot of abuse before the labor unions came in. And they were done for a reason. But once that reason was served, it has become a self-serving pig. Anyway, if you act like a Democrat in your work environment by failing to give your all to your boss, you are not not acting as the Lord would have you to work. It is time to mature out of your self-centered work attitude and to become a devoted, dedicated employee. And this is regardless of the attitude of your employer. If you can't deal with him, then it is you who needs to find another job. Think clearly. Apply the Bible and its precepts to your life. Be honoring of the Lord through your employment. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the chance to come and to uh, just share in your word and to know that you have all things under control and that you have ordained a hierarchy in this life for us to follow. Help us to be good fathers, not exasperating our children. May our children be obedient to us when we are properly displaying your word to them. And Lord, help us to be good and faithful husbands and wives and help us to be the best employees we can when we're in the work environment so that people will see our works and will glorify you because of it. May it be so to your glory. And we pray these things. Jesus, beautiful name. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's back this baby up.